Let's pretend that this isn't advice. And I'm Erin, and I'm not giving you advice. It's it's not advice. I can't help myself <laughs> give advice. I don't mean to. I don't want to. I want you to be able to live your life, but I know how to do it. I'm a huge know-it-all, and this is where I practice not giving advice to people. Except I totally give advice to them. I'm a lawyer turned professional certified coach, and I just happen to give the best advice. But this is a podcast, not a coaching session, so I obviously don't do that here, except I do. This is not advice with Erin Conlon, your know-it-all lawyer coach friend. This is not advice. On today's episode, I talk with Scott Frank. Scott is the founder of the Digital Empowerment Project, and his work is basically centered around creating healthy relationships with the internet. Um, He gives a lot of presentations to schools, and we kind of go over what he tells parents um, with respect to having an impactful, powerful relationship with their kids so that their kids can have a powerful relationship with the internet. Um, So I think if you are a parent... You will get some massive tips and tricks and strategies on how to deal with the internet out of today. Um, at the same time, if you are not a parent, if you are one of, if you are like me, I found this conversation really valuable for understanding what my relationship with the internet is and how I see uh, how I want to show up or don't show up. One of the things that Scott says is. Um, you know, inspire, inform, and have an empowered relationship. There's no right or wrong. It's just how are you being about it? Um, And I really, really loved his message. So have a listen. And uh, if you are, you know, if you want to have him at your school or you want to reach out to him, he was so willing to talk with you. In the meantime, uh, my group coaching program starts in two weeks. And I would love to have you. Uh, It is going to be an amazing experience. The people who did the last one created bonds that will be with them forever. And they moved all of their lives forward and empowered in um, really cool ways. So if you're interested in my group coaching program, reach out uh, at Aaron at AaronConlin.com. Hey, Scott. Hey, how are you? I am so good. How are you? I am excited to be here and that it's an impending weekend. So I think this would be a fun conversation. Oh, yay. So, Scott, you got to tell me and everyone, who who are you? (laughs) Uh, That's a good question. My name is Scott Frank. I live in a quaint little village called Oak Harbor, nestled in Northwest Ohio up by Lake Erie. Um, I am the founder of the Digital Empowerment Project, and I am super fortunate in that I get to travel the country, although it's been a little difficult lately with um, the world that we're living in, but I get to travel the country uh, speaking primarily at middle schools and high schools and conferences uh, and association events, uh, hoping to share my story as an Internet Crimes Against Children investigator And my mission and my passion is to uh, empower teens to make good choices, um, to not only recognize the risk, but also to embrace the many opportunities. Um, And I Mm -hmm. also get to work with parents and educators and counselors, uh, trying to help them uh, support their teens the best that they can. This is kind of incredible. Was that, How is that a lot you, to chew or what, what happened It is. There? Like, so let's just start with the basics. What is it that the Digital Empowerment Project uh, wants people to know? Well, as an internet crimes against children investigator, I had several thousands of hours uh, working with Ohio's ICAC task force. And my role with the task force was somewhat unique. Some investigators will work what's called P2P or peer-to-peer cases, which are file exchanges of perhaps um, pirated software, et cetera. Some investigators will work pornography cases. um, And I was what's called a chatter. 
So um, my day consisted of posing online as a teen in the state of Ohio. Law enforcement can act the part of a teen that's 15 or younger. So um, my view of the digital world is somewhat unique and really parallels what our kids are experiencing. Um, so I just, matter of fact, I reti- retired in 2017 because I just, um, I just wanted to share this message and I just wanted to try to impact the teens. Um, we, yeah. we together, we have so much to do because we're, we're living in this digital world where sadly our kids are techier and they're more advanced um, and they're seeing things and experiencing things and connecting with people that oftentimes the trusted adults, whether it's the parents, the educators, the counselors, in many cases, even law enforcement, we're woefully lagging behind. So um, this really needs to be a discussion in the forefront and we need to collectively figure out, you know, how can we do better as trusted adults to um, encourage and empower our kids? First of all, thanks for doing this work. Well, thank you. Like I can only imagine the emotional toll it takes on you. Um, yeah. You know, I don't often talk about that, but um to be honest, it really affected me in a lot of different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. My personality to a degree changed. Um, It was very time consuming because when you're investigating internet crimes, especially when you're posing as a teen, if my office hours ended at 4 p.m., I couldn't quit chatting at 4 p.m. So that often carried over, you know, into the evening, into the middle of the night. Um, I remember several Christmas Eves where I was up most of the night chatting, posing as a, as a teen. And so um, it really did, if I'm being honest, it it took a toll, but it also serves and fuels my passion um, that, you know, I just want to be a part of sharing this message and, and trying to do the best we can. Yeah. Well, I have it that like, you know, we often talk about what we want to create in the world and we don't talk about the cost to us in that creation. Yes. Like I have my own business. It can be wild to do all of the things Mm -hmm. that I am doing by myself. And I've started to hire people to help me, but that doesn't account for, you know, the, the level of like emotional reserves I need to have in order to serve the people I serve. Absolutely. Yeah. It, um, and and I think you have to make a concentrated effort to make sure you're always aware of that. Um, and Mm -hmm. I'm not too proud to admit, um, along with my service with the ICAC task force, um, that involved regular counseling. And, um, I, I had to work really hard, to keep my act together, not only in a professional sense, but um, I had to learn how to kind of sever the ties and disconnect so that I didn't take my work home to my family and my friends. And um, so, you know, as you stated, sometimes that can be kind of tough. Yeah. What, like, what is the, the thing or not the thing, but, you know, if you had to identify some points of um, action for parents, what would you want parents to do first? First, um, when I talk to parents um, and it didn't happen overnight, um, I've talked to literally tens of thousands uh, of parents and Um, I think if I had to start, and it's it's a good segue to what I'm about to say, um, I used to be the motivational speaker that would talk to parents and I would say the obvious. I would say, you know, you've got to communicate with your kids and you have to talk to your kids and you have to get involved. And in discussions with hundreds of parents, um, I really fine tune it to what I call the starter strategy. 
I try to give the parents seven very practical tips or very practical suggestions. Um, and it all starts, the, I put together an acronym, literally the word starter. And obviously the word starter starts with S and that's where it all has to start. Um, parents have to commit to developing a strategy. Um, and in speaking again to thousands of parents, I'm really shocked sometimes when they will attend one of my digital empowerment for parents events. Um, and I ask the question, how many of you have a strategy in place to empower your teens online? And over and over again, the significant minority will raise their hands. And I'm just shocked how many parents come to a program like that and they really haven't committed to that strategy. And that strategy, mm -hmm. I mean, and that's where you have to start. And along with that, along with that, I always stress that you, your strategy must parent the child first and then the device because parents will come to my presentation and I always get there a little bit early. And in fact, there's even a, a pre-event kind of a questionnaire where they can use their cell phones. They can put in questions that I read even before the event starts. And more often than not, the question that I get over and over and over again is what software can I put on my child's phone or my computer to help protect them? And I tell the parents, you've got it all backwards because so many parents will yeah. start by parenting the device. And that's not where your strategy has to start. Your strategy has to start with understanding and loving and committing to your teen or to your child. So that's where that strategy has to start. And it needs to be age and gender specific. It needs to be based on their obedience level, for example, uh, if you have a teen that you say, okay, the internet's going off at our house um, at 10 p.m. and they turn it off at 10 p.m., then you can build that into your strategy. But you may be a parent that has a teen that you say it goes off at 10 p.m. and they're sneaking their device into their bedroom or hiding underneath a pillow. <laughs> yeah. That would have totally been me. I, was, I, was I, totally I saw you raising like your hand. Those um, are those are guidelines, not rules. I don't follow yes. rules. So you, as a parent, you've just you've got to start there. You've got to commit to it. You've got to develop it. You have to talk to your spouse. You have to sit down and talk to your team. Uh, your team mm -hmm. can even give you some advice or some pointers or some tips on um, how you can better help them. Um, yeah. Well, what I'm hearing in this is that. So it sounds like most people try and fix the problem mm -hmm. rather than create the relationship. Yes. And what you're kind of talking about is you cannot protect your kids without a solid relationship. Yeah. Em with empowerment them. is relational. Um, first and foremost, always. And I've talked to so many parents. I think I've had six this week alone um, that have called. And sometimes I'm just a sounding board or sometimes I'm just... Um, Scott, we were at your presentation and you said I could call whenever I needed to. And sometimes they just need another digital parent to talk to. Um, yeah. And it all goes back to exactly what, what you said, Aaron, is um, parents have got to develop that relationship because that's how you empower your kids. But where parents yeah. get concerned is they're talking about a topic with their their child or their teen that more often than not, the teen knows more about that topic. And as parents, we're not used to that. You know, we're, we're the one that understands things and we have the experience and the knowledge, but parents are just calling me and they sound absolutely exhausted because they're trying to figure this all out with the understanding that their teen is light years ahead in, in understanding this thing that we call the digital world. Well, you know, just to walk it back a little bit, you, you said parents have to start with a strategy. And what I know about strategy is that you kind of have to have like a mission in your strategy. Like what are your goals? Um, 
And I wonder like how that plays into some of the conversations that you have, like what should parents be protecting their kids from? And, you know, that's very child specific. Um, You know, if you have a curious child, um, if you have a child that's, uh, or teen that's very eager to develop a relationship, um, they may be more prone to risk such as seeking out pornography. They may be, they may be more apt to um, get connected on some of the dating related apps. Then you may have mm-hmm. a teen that doesn't do any of that, but they just want to game. They want to be in the gaming environment for 10 hours all day, every day. So, you know, you really have to kind of gauge as a parent of what are the most likely risk factors. And a way to do that is the second step in my starter. That was a good segue. Um, In the starter strategy, the S is for strategy and the T is for talk. Um, And I know that sounds like, oh, wow, you just brought some guy in a podcast and he just told me to talk to my kids. But there's a very specific way, in my opinion, that you need to talk to your kids Um, First, you need to ask. Um, Parents, I think, get into the rut of telling their kids about the digital world before they ask. Your your kids are a wealth of information. So the conversation should always start um, first and foremost. Uh, Well, let me me rephrase this because I give parents um, what I call the big ask. And the big ask is a series of questions or statements. And then there's a power statement to try to help you as a parent figure out where you are, where is your teen and where is your relationship with that teen? Because in mm-hmm. order to develop a strategy, you need to kind of understand what, what you're up against or where you're at. So this is the big ask. Um, the first step of the big ask is, this is a parent talking to a teen. I think it needs to start with the words, I love you. Because to me, that softens the tone. And to me, I think that allows your teen, although, you know, maybe that's not, maybe those aren't three words that you say all the time, but this is a good time to say those. So I think it puts it in context. So the parent, I love you. And the next question or the next, um, direction that you as a parent go is just ask your teen about the internet. Say, I love you. And um, I'm concerned and I don't know about this digital world. And tell me about it. What do you do? Where do you go? What are your favorite apps? Why are you spending so much time there? What does this app even do? Where are your friends hanging out? Whatever that conversation looks like, um, you, what I've learned is not to to sidestep this, I'll I'll come back to the big ask, but during my time with the schools, I have what's called an empowerment hour. So I get to talk to the kids. It's usually a small group of kids and I get to ask whatever questions I want to ask. And, and more often than not, there aren't even school representatives or it's just the kids and I, and it's a, a wonderful opportunity for me to learn. And my point in sharing that with you is so many times those kids, when I ask about their parents, the kids will tell me that sometimes, often, I, I wish my parents would ask me about the internet. All they do is they say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. I just want them to ask. So Yeah, it's kind of funny how like we get into this place of knowing. Yep. And all the other possibilities or what's actually happening escapes our point of view. Yeah. So if if you're a parent whose child is eager to tell you about the internet, that's awesome. Now that's that that is a sign in of itself because they're comfortable talking about the internet. They um, probably don't have anything to hide, but you may be a parent where you ask your teen to share their internet and they absolutely will not do it or they're reluctant or they just say a few things parents have to recognize that is a a, that's a red flag so in the big ask process if you say i love you this is a parent to a child if you say i love you and if you say tell me about your internet because i want to know and they're reluctant to do that 
this is the next step in the big ask. And the next step is a parent to a child says, pick a day of the week. And for some kids, you may even have to rattle off the days of the week, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And your child is going to look at you with this puzzled look. And they're going to say, why am I picking a day of the week? And you're going to respond by saying, if you pick Tuesday, for example, that's the day that we're all going to put our electronic devices in a basket in a drawer. And we're just going to have a family day with no internet. And the reason you do that is because twofold. Number one, it's a good idea. Um, I love disconnect days. And number, I know, right? Yes. And not, <laughs> just like, leave me alone, yeah. turn off all the devices. I'm going to go sit in the sun. Yes. And, and the second and probably the more important reason is judge how your child reacts. You know, for some kids, they may reluctantly say, oh, no, I think I want to pick Wednesday. And they may go along with it. And parents are sharing stories with me that the kids ended up suggesting that we keep doing this or even pick another day. But then some parents are going to have kids that absolutely cannot do it. They just can't. They will throw an absolute temper tantrum because you as a parent are suggesting that they go without their digital device to a day. And, And if that's the case, that's a red flag. And then you need to finish up the big ask with the power statement. And the power statement is give me your phone. I mean, that's a, that's a significant enough red flag that at that second, not the next day, not, oh, we need to talk about this. You need to look at their phone because if they don't have the desire to talk to you about their internet, if they can't give it up for 24 hours, you have to love them enough to recognize that that is a red flag and you have to get involved at that very second. So yeah, what, that, that's just, what a, that's just think? a great way for a parent to kind of figure out where you're at before you continue the strategy. Totally. What do you think, like, what are some of the flags that it could be? I'm just going to guess off the top of my head. One, they are addicted to their device. Absolutely. It is just that mm-hmm. like call response, like notification addiction that happens to anyone who conditions themselves to be in that way. Yes. Yep. But is it like other stuff too? Is it? You know, like, oh, they don't want their relationships to blow up. What it, I can imagine other legitimate reasons why. Yeah. Especially as a 16-year-old girl, I'd be like, well, what if my boyfriend calls? Well, <laughs> it, and absolutely. Um, a lot of times when they don't have the desire or the ability to give that device up for 24 hours, it is relationship-based. It may be that that's how they're connecting to their boyfriend and your response as a parent will be, hey, why don't we call him up on the phone or why don't we invite him over or why don't we have, you know, we all do something together. So if you as a parent are gleaning or learning that that connection is there, then it's incumbent upon you to figure out other ways to support it. But it also may be a less than healthy relationship. It may be a relationship mm-hmm with someone online that you as a parent had no knowledge of. And it could be that there is such pressure, typically on young teen girls, there's such pressure uh, where if they go without speaking to the person that they're connected with, if they go without 24 hours, maybe there's threats, maybe there's uh, consequences. So um, there's a lot of different um, reasons why a teen couldn't do that. Um, mm-hmm. I struggle to think about how many of those are healthy. Um, I think at the end of the day, the majority of time when a teen can't give up that device, um, they're less than healthy red flags. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying that it's a healthy thing to be able to not let your phone go. Mm-hmm. I'm, But I can imagine that, you know, we treat especially young girls as though we train them to be people pleasers. We train them to be responsive. We train them to caretake other people. And we do it from such a young age. So it would it's almost like antithetical to be a 16-year-old and be told, not today. <laughs> like, wh- why do your rules matter more than the 15 years of conditioning that you've given me? And I wonder if that's something to take a look at too, is like how we relate to people as they grow up before we have to involve these 
stop today thing. Yeah, it's all part of that process. So hopefully a parent has had enough of a discussion or has a really healthy line of communication with their teen um, that it doesn't mm-hmm. get to that point. Um, in other yeah. words, hopefully the parent knows that there's a boyfriend and hopefully knows that there's a connection and hopefully knows that it may be tough for her not to talk to him for a day. But um, the majority of parents aren't there. The majority of parents are parenting and then the digital world rears its ugly head and they're trying to figure out how to be a digital parent. So I I think there's a little bit of a, a difference between a parent and a digital parent. You do think that there's a difference between parenting in real life and digital parenting? I I do because the risk factors are different. Um, The consequences can be different. Um, I think if pre-digital world and separating the risk factors of the digital world, if you take that out of the mix, you absolutely, if you're a, a loving, healthy, responsive, you understand your teen off the digital world, that's going to make it easier to be a digital parent. Um, but there's yeah. there's just things that are happening to our teens because after all, they're connected to 4.54 billion online consumers. So I think a digital parent is rooted in good parenting, but a digital parent has got to consider more than you would if you if, if before the digital world. I mean, I know I, I have four kids and I had to change my parenting awareness and my parenting skill sets because of the digital world. Yeah. How did you do that? Like, I hear this strategy that you espouse to other people, but like, how did you break out of that comfort zone of how you were as dad, dad point one? Well, my poor kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Not only was I in law enforcement, but then I parented them as a internet crimes against children investigator. I would not want to. How are they doing? Do um, they have therapists? Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> thanks for asking that. Um, I'm not going to lie. Um, I do this for a living, you know, trying yeah. to educate parents. And I have my own share of struggles. And that's why I said earlier, um, I, I never felt like I struggled as a parent um, I struggled as a digital parent because my kids, um, I think like everybody's kids, um, had some issues and and had some struggles and um, that I don't think they would have had had it not been for their you know for their constant desire to be in this digital world. So I'd like to think I got it right most of the time, um, but mm-hmm. they also helped me learn some things that I could share to other parents, but I'm super proud of them. They, they made good choice. Matter of fact, I have, um, my youngest son, child number two makes a living off the digital world. He has a very unique kind of cool company that deals with fantasy sports and he has a team that he connected with and he's making a video vidcast and podcast and, and he's just on the internet all the time. So he, um, something must have worked really well with him because not only is he making good choices, he's making a living off this thing that we call the digital world. So it sounds kind of like, you know, from a certain aspect, what you're not saying is it's it's not an all or nothing thing. Your kid is going to be on the internet. We're all on it. What we're really teaching our children is boundaries or like, uh, like how to maintain their sense of self so that they don't get lost or something like that. Was that uh, an intentional or unintentional segue again? It was super unintentional. Wow. I just happened to be omniscient. Uh, I, <laughs> I guess, you know, the next part of my starter strategy, develop a strategy, talk to your kids is the A and that's defining what appropriate is. Um, yeah. And parents have forgotten that. Um you know, we, we need to, we need to tell our kids, um, we need to define what is appropriate. We need to define how much time online is healthy. We need to set expectations. Um, we need to manage all that. And that has to be part 
of the discussion. And, and I will say this in, in defining um, what is appropriate and setting boundaries and consequences for our kids. It's really important that we have what I call an escape clause as a parent. And this is what I mean by that. Um, you know, some parents are, are going to develop consequences. You know, if you sneak on the phone after this time, this is going to happen. Uh, you're not allowed to have access to this app. That's all part of the process. But what the teens are telling me when I ask the question, I say, if you do something wrong or, or if you make a choice that's less than positive in the digital world, how likely are you to tell your parents? And the teens in those empower hours where it's just 15 kids and I in a room um, and they've already heard my presentation and they're really kind of eager to share their responses over and over and over again. They say, well, we don't tell our parents when things go wrong. And I follow that up with, why don't you, why don't you tell them? Why don't you feel comfortable sharing that with your parents? And some parents think the answer is the teens will say, I'm going to get in trouble. Or some teens think uh, the parents or the teens will say, my mom and dad will get mad at me. That's never the answer that the teens give me. The answer that they always give me is, oh, I can't tell them because my parents will take away the internet. So we need to make sure that our teens are comfortable enough to tell us when something is really going wrong. The example that comes to my mind, if you have a teen girl and she's getting pressured from a predator or someone she doesn't know to have a conversation, we need to make sure she knows that even though she may have been chatting at two o'clock in the morning, which goes against what the parent has defined as appropriate, it goes against the rules we need to make sure that she is okay telling the parents. And the first parental reaction is not to take away that dang internet because that's what parents do. When things right. go wrong, they cut it off at the source, which is the internet. I, it's so black and white yeah, to do it that it way. Is. And it also doesn't really address the issue. It's like, you know, if your kid is driving super fast in their car, taking away their car mm -hmm. might be an appropriate response because they're not like there's no all or nothing. Yeah. Yep. There's no like mitigation when it comes to somebody pressing on the gas pedal. Yeah, because that you can't like. Be, yeah, because that it. that teen girl that's um, breaking the rules and not following the guidance that their parents set as far as what appropriate. If she's chatting at two o'clock in the morning. She's longing to have her social needs met. There's, you're right. There's yeah. something else going on there. So the typical teen is reluctant to talk to their parents and to seek help because they're fearful that they're going to lose their internet. So if you really think about that, they will try to deal with, you know, horrific pressure from an online relationship rather than lose their phone. So that's what I what yeah. mean about an escape clause, you know, define appropriate, well, but of, have an escape clause. And it's kind of like, this is the opportunity to talk to your kids about like what punishment actually is. Mm -hmm. It is incredibly punishing to be in relationships with people who don't respect your boundaries, who don't want you to have a good night's sleep, who don't want you to like take care of yourself. And it is, it's almost like the teens are willing to be in that kind of punishment before they're willing to be punished by their parents, more or less. Absolutely. And, and as a parent, we need to account for that and we need to, to build that into um, our strategy. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like, you know, trust in, in this, like a tr trust being a two-way street, you got to trust your teens to have some semblance of like, ability to pick themselves up when they fuck up. Yeah. I'm, I'm smiling because I need to tell your audience, we didn't set up these segues, but I don't know how, <laughs> how you keep doing this. You know, the next segue really, I get some blowback and some pushback from parents because 
I've already talked about the S for strategy, the T for talk, the A for defining appropriate. The next letter is R, and that stands for reviewing or interjecting yourself in your digital world. Um, I think parents absolutely must have their teens' usernames and passwords. They must mm. set up um, a mechanism or a schedule or, or have the ability to look at what they're doing online. And no, I'm not advocating that, you know, you put M spy and, and have a keystroker and, you know, read everything they're doing. But, but our kids should understand that parents are still parents and they should have access to what they're doing in the digital world. And again, you just mentioned the trust factor and that's what parents will raise their hand and say, they'll say, well, if I do that, my kids will never trust me. Um, well, that's a conversation you have to have. And, and our, our kids need to understand that that's important as a digital parent um, that you have access because, you know, what if something goes tragically wrong? And, and I'll tell you a true story as an investigator, uh, we were, were missing a 14-year-old girl. And one of the first questions I asked mom and dad was about her social media accounts. And, and I explained to them how imperative it was that we got into those social media accounts. Um, and it was like I asked them to give me their firstborn. Like, well, we don't, why would we? Well, you need to because she's a 14-year-old girl immersed in a digital world with four and a half billion online users and you just let her have that isolated, secretive world. We can't do that. We have to set up a mechanism where we have the opportunity to review well, what our kids are doing in the digital world. Yeah. Well, that kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, going back to appropriateness when, so I, I come from a world as an attorney. I used to be an attorney. And one of the things that happens with executives, with my executive clients and with attorneys is this idea that they have to be on their phones all of the time to be able to respond to emails because work is so important because their lives, their work lives are so important. And who is there to govern those boundaries except for the adults? And I think what you're pointing to with this appropriateness and with having the backstop of having passwords is the ability to start to practice setting those boundaries. And if the kid doesn't know how to do it, the parent has to be the one to be able to do it for them. It's kind of like the parent being like, you've had six cups of ice cream today. <laughs> you do not need more. <laughs> no, I love ice cream. Let's not interject that into the conversation. Need and want are two yeah. different conversations. <laughs> no, saying that, Aaron, one of the things I share with parents is not only do you have to define what is appropriate, but you have to demonstrate it. And again, when I have those empower yeah. hours and I have those teens that are in a room with me and typically we're eating pizza and, you know, it's, it's designed to be kind of a fun event, but I hear all the time from the teens that, um, you know, my, my mom and dad and my parents, they'll tell me to get off the internet at 10. And I know I hear my dad playing games till two. Or my mom is, you know, her. she's always buried in her phone and she chats till the wee hours. So that needs to be a consideration for parents. And for some parents, that's tough because, you know, they're trying to help their teens with investing their time and time management and they can't do it themselves. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a larger cultural conversation too, right? It, like, who are you? who are you performing for? Absolutely. Like what's the difference mm -hmm. between responding to this email at eight o'clock in the morning tomorrow or 1130 tonight? I'll tell you the difference. A good night's sleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I need to add that to my slide. I think very good. You're welcome. Yeah. I, I will help you train these children and these adults. So what's uh, the next T? Uh, the next T is the second T, not the first T. The second T is T for technology. Um, uh -huh. There are some really cool and very functional um, parts of technology, you know, whether it's software you put in your phone, whether it's the privacy and the parental controls. Um, 
And, and for some parents, that's important. You know, I, I go back to the very beginning of my conversation about starter. Um, you know, I, I had kids that I didn't have to make sure that the phone shut itself off at 10 p.m. because my kids were done at 9.59. I mean, that was just my kids um, were responsible enough to do that. Some parents struggle. Some parents don't have, you know, teens that resist that. And if that's the case, then they need to look at some software or technology that can help them. Um, but notice that's the second T um, and not the first T. And then what's E? E is absolutely one of my favorites. Um, it's, I spend about half my presentation times. Um, I talk to teens for an hour. The first half hour is about the risk and some of the less than pleasant stuff. And then the whole back end for both my teens and my parent presentations is the embracing opportunities. Um, mm. And that is, and it, I think this is just gold for parents. And I have had so many parents have called me up and said, Scott, I have to tell you the E part of your starter strategy literally changed um, our family's lives. And um, I think we get stuck thinking and talking and educating about the risk of the digital world. Well, the other yeah, side totally. of that is embracing opportunities. And here's my three bullet points that I really think can be life-changing. The first is we need to help empower our kids to embrace the opportunity to invest their time. Uh, because mm -hmm. if we let them, they will do this mindless, whatever it is they're doing on the internet we need to make sure that they understand that you only have so much time and there are opportunities to invest it. Um, I always tell kids and I tell parents, you know, invest a lot and play a little. I'm not saying don't ever play a game. I'm not ever saying don't look at the goofy memes. But when I get in front of middle school and high school kids, you know, I challenge them. And sometimes you can just see like a light bulb goes off because I, I'm – I'm passionately challenging them. What are they doing with their time? And are, are they making a difference? Are they learning? Are they becoming a better person? Because there are so many opportunities in the digital world. It's just mind boggling and, and they're positive and healthy opportunities. So we got to empower our kids to invest their time. And next up, we need to empower our kids to inspire others. And that could be mm. that could be a teen that creates an organization. I, I share real life stories to the teens that I talk to about teens that are having worldwide impact and community impact or impact in their yep. school. Or maybe it's just recognizing during a conversation thread that somebody's having a bad day. And why don't you be the teen that says something positive and healthy or sends them a positive or uplifting or inspiring direct message or whatever the case is. But our kids are just doing all this game and videos and they're just doing all this stuff. And of course they're not investing their time, but they've lost sight of how they can make a difference in someone else's lives. And then I always conclude with um, let's empower our kids to impact their future. Um, because they forget that colleges, prospective employers, um, they have the ability to look at a teen's digital footprint um, starting, you know, from day one. If they're a middle schooler that starts an Instagram account, um, our mm -hmm. employers and college recruits, they will have access to that. So we need to help our kids build that so that that has a positive impact. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm so grateful that I was not a teenager <laughs> now. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I wasn't a 20 year old now. Like when I was in law school is kind of around the time that Friendster and Facebook and MySpace took off. Um, so I was like 25 around then. And I came into adulthood with technology, but without it. Like I knew how to live without it. Um, and so I think there's like a, a six year, a six year micro generation. We we're called the Oregon Trail generation. I'm of that generation, and we, my peers and I, all have a little bit more of the both and in this empowering the internet thing, and also 
thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with all of that said, one thing that kept everyone kept saying to me when I was growing up is be careful. Everyone will look at you and just make all these judgments about who you were at 16 or who you were at 25. And what I know is that I don't, <laughs> like, I don't know anybody who goes and checks up on other people's profiles before they hire somebody or who, and maybe it's because I don't need to. It's not like I don't have a business that would require my peers to have that kind of perfect reputation around me. But like, do you really think that people do that kind of investigation? Um, I do. Um, I spent many years uh, being on the forefront of trying to find good quality people to join our organizations. Um, mm-hmm. And the first place I typically checked was going to be social media or Google. Um, so yeah, I, I think the belief that employers and colleges aren't looking at that stuff, I think um I would respectfully disagree because I think they are. And then the other side of that is what I tell the teens. If I search them in Google, three things are going to happen. Number one, I'm going to see something that's less than positive. So that's not going to help their cause. Number two, Mm -hmm. and this is the way I think as a prospective employer, the second thing that could happen is I don't find anything. So that's, that's more, yeah. well, I mean, I have a website yeah. that is my name now, but before. Yeah. So this, if I don't was, find, anything, find anything, yes, that's neutral. And I suppose that's not negative, but here's a third thing that can happen. I find you and I find your likes, your dislikes. I find your community service. I understand your passions. I understand how you've um, helped other people. So if I have two perspective if I have two prospective candidates and let's just go three, the one I'm going to eliminate because I'm I'm finding less than positive things. Now, now Mm -hmm. I have two people and if they are equal in all other merits, I'm going to hire the one that took the time and the effort to put their best foot forward to impact their future in the digital world. Because more often than not, that can be your first impression with someone. Yeah, I can see that. And I think what I'm more pointing to is this fear-based performance thing that we do to people, where if you don't look perfect all of the time, you won't have a future. And like that's the natural extreme end kind of of what that Mm -hmm. conversation is. And I think... I'm curious what the impact is on that kind of warning for people. Um, yeah, that's probably a topic for another day. I don't, that's, that's a, that's a good <laughs> one. So you were doing really well with the segues and now you have this challenge question that I don't know how to answer. So you're welcome. Yeah. No, you're I welcome, wasn't Scott. thanking you for that, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Please don't think well, I did was we get to the- you. <laughs> Did we get to the R? Yeah, the R is for resources, um, and there are so Mm -hmm. many out there. Um, I have a very long vetted list on my webpage. Um, I think parents need to be resources for each other. I think schools need to be involved. Um, Churches need to be involved. I think counselors need to make this a part of what they understand is how the digital world is impacting our teens. Um, so there's just um, on uh, so many, you know, type internet safety for teens or how do I help my teen make good choices online and Google and you have a wealth of information. So, um, you know, I conclude the starter strategy with encouraging parents to, to seek some help and we're in this together and let's just make this a continued conversation of how we can educate parents to empower their teens. Yeah, well. Scott, first of all, thanks for telling us your entire strategy. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for th- guiding me down there with the unintended segues. That was fun. You're welcome. Um, what, like, what's some really terrible advice out there about empowering yourself digitally? 
really terrible advice. Yeah, like what's something that you hear a lot that you're like, ugh, um, this is garbage. Well, I have something that quickly comes to mind. A lot of parents, um, I shouldn't say a lot. Uh, some parents are of the opinion that um, in order to protect my child from the internet, they won't be on the internet. Um, and me personally, I think that's really bad advice. Um, because what's going to happen is if you're keeping your 16 year old off the internet, the day they turn 18 and leave the confines of your house, guess what they're going to be on? They're going to be wild and they're out. Gonna be uh-huh. on the internet. And when, <laughs> yeah. when they finally, and, and I just think they all will make their way to the internet. And if they haven't had the discussion, the definition of appropriate, the support, the advice, the I love yous, if they haven't had all that, and then all of a sudden they're in the digital world without that, I think that's bad advice. I think those teens are more apt to struggle uh, because they don't have a foundation. So some parents will argue, and maybe some listeners to this podcast have a different opinion, but um, that's that's mine. (laughs) I'm sticking with it. Okay. So here's my, here's another question that I have for you. All of this, like this conversation has been really geared towards teens. And, you know, I get that digital empowerment and empowering your relationship with yourself is something that starts probably in your teens. But how does this advice help us as adults? Not as parents, but like, for me, the childless human being in the world, how does this help me? Um, I, I think the strategy doesn't change. Um, Mm -hmm. I think as an adult, um, single adult, whatever the scenario is, I think you need to also have a strategy. You need to be able to understand what are your risk factors and um, where are you spending your time? Um, I think if you need to, you need to find someone to talk to if you're struggling. I think you need to define what is appropriate. Um, I know a lot of um, groups that I've worked with, I've worked with some groups that are at risk adults that have nothing to do with teens and they are in the starter strategy, which is review. That also applies. Um, they may they yeah. may have a buddy partner. They may have somebody who has access to their accounts to hold them accountable. Um, and same thing with T for technology. If you're uh, a single guy and you're struggling with pornography, there's some software that can help with that. Um, and, you know, we go to the R, there's plenty of resources to help. So yes, I gear the starter strategy towards parents to help their teens, but I think the whole acronym applies. Um, if you need some help or you need some guidance or you need to develop a framework of what your life in the digital world looks like. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate what you've been talking about today. And one theme that I notice is that um, you're really an advocate of not doing it alone. Get help, use your peers, get therapy, like whatever it is that you need in order to be in this world. Um, so first of all, thanks for being that kind of human being. Oh, thank because you. Because it's... Uh- it's really cool to be with somebody who isn't like, do it all by yourself. No, this is, um, well, thank you for recognizing that. I don't often hear that. And thank you for thanking me. We are in this together. And that's just the natural tendency of the digital world. I mean, it's all about connection and it's about people and it's about access. So I think it, I mean, I think it's natural that we use that to our benefit if we're struggling or or if we don't have appropriate guidelines or if we sit at home all day and look at pornography or if we're just gaming. I mean, the scenarios go on. We've got to love each other and help each other. And we need to talk about this as often as we can so we can support everyone, whether it's parents or teens or single folks or whatever the scenario is. Yeah. Um, My mom, there was like, I don't know, this was years ago, but there was somebody who got murdered off of Tinder. And my mom was like, Aaron, are you alive? <laughs> I just read about somebody who got murdered from Tinder. <laughs> I was like, 
Yeah, that's funny. Funny you mentioned moms. I hope she doesn't listen to this. Totally alive. Hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. But yeah, she's um, wow. She's the person that calls me the most with uh, Scott because she's on Facebook and Instagram, and it's just like every day she comes up with a new question. I don't know how that happens, but she does. Scott. What about my social security? What if somebody still? Well, there's that too, right? Like, there's if you are an an older person who doesn't have that like ever changing, ever constant relationship with technology. Yeah, that, there are opportunities for you to be scammed yeah, that that's way a too, whole, just because you don't. That's know. a whole different audience, and I've done some really intriguing presentations at senior citizen centers, and that's a whole different population that's being affected by this. And totally. yeah, and they're, they're the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, folks like you and I, I think we're kind of middle of the road. We didn't grow up with it, but we're learning it. Um, and then mm-hmm. you have teens that are growing up with it and know more than we do. And then you have my moms, uh, and the, you know, that didn't grow up with it and don't understand it, but they're in it and they're trying to learn it. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. we have quite a, a wide spectrum and all of us, you know, we need to really talk and support and, and help each other. Yeah. Okay. One last question. What would a successful relationship with the internet be like for, let's say, the average person? Oh, that's easy to answer. You have to go back to the to what I tout is embracing the opportunities. I think it starts with investing your time. You really have to look at how much time are you spending? What are you doing with it? Is it healthy? Is it not healthy? Is it, it, is it a balance of fun and productivity? Um, is it a balance of, you know, being beneficial versus you're just kind of idling, wasting time? So I think you can need to invest your time. And, and I think we really need to ask ourselves, what are we doing? Like, you know, the, <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a hard, right? easy question. Yeah, like, what am I yeah, doing here? Be, this, this <laughs> is, you know, we all have choices. My time spent with you, I'd like to think is investing my time to inspire others. That's my, yeah. that's my gauge. Now, when I get off this podcast, what am I going to do? Am I going to play games? Am I going to just look at videos all day long? So we all have continued choices. And then I think you follow it up with the impact your future. I mean, what, what am I doing to invest my time to inspire others? And, and how is that going to have an effect on, on me? And, and, you know, how does mm-hmm. that shape my world? So, um, yeah, I, I live by, I shouldn't say this, but I will. I have like shirts and t-shirts about the investor time, inspire others, and impact your future, because I think that applies to all of us. And I think that's a good way to gauge where are we in this digital world. Do you sell those t-shirts? Yeah, you know, it's, it's and I didn't, I didn't tell you to ask me that, but since you did, yeah, I have a whole shirt shop. As a matter of fact, I think I have like two hundred dis- different uh, pieces of apparel with that that logo. And oh, I do. I, I have a shirt shop. So, all right, I'll make sure to link to okay. that in in the uh, description of this episode. All right, any last pieces of wisdom that you would like for people to take away from this? Um, I, I think my last piece of wisdom is we talk so much about avoiding the risk and the scams and the predators. Um, I think we need to spend our time talking about how can we embrace our opportunities and how can we use this really cool thing that we call the digital world to just make everything and everyone the best that we can and, and change our own little piece of this connectivity. So be positive, um, be smart. Invest your time, inspire others, and impact your future. See how I got that in there? (laughs) I did. I'm so impressed. Yeah, okay. Scott, thank you so much for all of your your work. Thanks for all the years that you did this, and thanks for your wisdom and sharing it here, and thanks for – I have a bunch of friends who are parents, and, you know, the age range is, like, baby to – eighth grader. So this, I feel like is going to prepare a lot of people for you, you know, for them going forward. I I hope so. And I really sincerely appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. And um, 
you're welcome to, you know, post my contact information. The parents that you mentioned, they're welcome to call me if I can be a resource or even a sounding board. I'm here to help. Awesome. Thank you so much, Scott. It was such a pleasure to have you. This is Not Advice is brought to you by me, Erin Conlin. If you are interested in learning more about my coaching practice or how we might be able to work together, please visit erinconlin.com. This podcast would not have happened without production support from Cedar Cathedral Narrative Studio.